Congregation, the text for this morning's sermon is found in the second passage we read from Deuteronomy 14, and our focus will be on the verses 3 to 21a. And after the proclamation of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 51, the stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can you imagine not having bacon with your eggs at breakfast? Or not being able to enjoy a supper time, mouth-watering barbecue pork chops? Or not having delectable shrimp at a party? Or mussels when we go out, fancy dinner in a restaurant? These were just some of the foods the people of Israel were not to eat. They lived in the Old Covenant. As they were called to abide by God's law about clean and unclean foods, as we find in our text of this morning, as you can find it in other passages in Leviticus. Yes, when they sat down for a meal, they could not eat the meat of the animals which God had declared to be outwardly or ceremonially unclean. Now, unlike God's people of old, we as God's people today have no concerns about the meat being ceremonially clean. We need not worry about our food being kosher. We may freely enjoy all kinds of meat, whether it's beef or pork and bison or moose or chicken or turkey or salmon or crab, to name a few. And so we might be wondering, well, what then is the meaning of this law about clean and unclean food for us as God's people today? And you might be wondering, what did this law mean for the Israelites when it was first given to them? Well, God had a reason for giving this ceremonial law is with this dietary law, they were visually reminded of God's command not just to be ceremonially clean, but also more importantly, to be morally clean. As they were to be clean, not just outwardly in what meat they did and did not eat, but more importantly, they need to be clean inwardly, have a clean heart, which showed outwardly in clean and holy living. And yes, this truth and the substance of this ceremonial law still applies then for us today. Yes, we too are called then to be clean, to be holy in our everyday life by the working of Christ's blood and spirit. And so even as we may enjoy pork on the fork or shrimp in our dip, we must be clean. Yes, we must be clean from the inside out. And so God's word then comes to you this morning, summarized under this theme, with the dietary laws God calls us to be thoroughly clean. We'll look at first the rationale for clean and unclean food, and then the gospel of clean and unclean food. I repeat, with the dietary laws God calls us to be thoroughly clean, we'll look at the rationale, and then the gospel of clean and unclean food. As beloved, this morning we turn our attention to the book of Deuteronomy and we need to remember that God gave this book, the book of covenant renewal, as Israel was there on the plains of Moab and was about to cross the Jordan and take possession of the promised land. As they were to cross over into the land where the unbelieving Canaanites lived, 
And yet when they entered into this holy land, they were not to live like the pagan Canaanites. For as the Canaanites, you could say, had a horrible lifestyle, one filled with darkness and disease and destruction and death. Now Israel, God's covenant people, were to live their entire everyday life in, in a way completely different from the pagan Canaanites. For as we read there in the beginning of chapter 14, the Lord God said to his people that they were to remember that they were his children. And they were God's children, not because of any righteousness of their own, any holiness of their own. And only in his grace and his mercy, the Lord God had chosen Israel out of all the peoples in the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. And yes, having set apart Israel from the unbelieving world around them and for himself, God then also called them to lead holy and clean lives. They were not to follow them, the dark and the destructive practices of the Canaanites. They were not to be caught up in any way in that pagan culture of death. For example, when the Canaanites mourned their dead, they, they followed a very destructive and deadly practice of cutting, of slashing themselves. You can read about there in the beginning of, of chapter 14. Now, beloved, we live in a similar culture. Our Western culture around us today has become also a, a culture of death where there's this fascination with death. You see it only in this past week with Halloween. And you see it in the culture in large too. People seeking to destroy themselves if not with, with knives and razors then with drugs and alcohol, with, with sexual immorality. Then God's people is today but also then need to be different called to live holy and clean lives before the Lord our God. Now to drive home this point to be as thoroughly clean, God then gave his people this ceremonial law about clean and unclean food. In fact, God gave them many more laws, many more regulations about being ceremonially clean and or unclean. If you turn back to the, the book of Leviticus, when you look at the chapters 11 through 14, you'll find extensive regulations of being ceremonial, clean or unclean with respect not only to food, but, but also with respect to childbirth, infectious skin diseases, mildew in the homes, sexual relations, all different kind of bodily discharges. You see, with all these regulations, God covered all different aspects of ordinary, everyday life. Really, you couldn't go to the bathroom, cook and eat your meals, wear your clothes, have sexual relations with your spouse and so forth without having to deal with these many ceremonial rules and regulations, these rules about being, yes, clean or unclean. Now, speaking of food, about meat, God was very clear as he said to them through Moses, do not eat anything detestable. It's detestable. Same word used here to describe many unclean and unholy practices of the Canaanites. As the Canaanites had practices like burning their sons and daughters and fire sacrifices to their God. Also wearing clothes of the opposite sex. These practices are described in God's word just as detestable, as abominable. Practices God's people were not to engage in in any way. 
And so here God is basically saying to his people they were not to eat anything detestable, anything abominable, anything that was impure, that was unholy, that was unclean. Now really, what was clean and what was unclean? What follows in our text is a very lengthy list of animals and fish and birds and insects which were, were either clean or unclean. And if you want even a more extensive list, then you need to turn back to, to Leviticus 11. Now God's people were allowed to eat. They were allowed to eat the meat of, of animals, of fish and birds. Because after the great worldwide flood in the days of Noah, God specifically gave mankind permission to, to eat animals for food. But already then, even before the great flood in the days of Noah, there was that distinction of clean and unclean animals now here we have God giving more specific detail about really what was clean and what was unclean, what could be eaten, what could not be eaten. Now you might be wondering, what was the basic rationale for that distinction between clean and unclean? Now basically, whatever points to or reminds one of sin and its consequence, which is death, is considered unclean. It was to be avoided. For what separates mankind from communion with God, from truly living in a relationship with him? Well, it is our sin, and sin which leads to death. And what is death? Death really is the breaking of communion with God. Now, thankfully, Israel had been redeemed from death. And Israel was to be holy, truly separated them from death. You may be called then to life with God, communion with God. And so anything, anything suggesting or typifying sin and death was to be avoided. And so also those animals which killed and ate flesh were then considered unclean. Those that fed on, on corpses and garbage, both one of reminding us of death and decay, were also to be avoided. They were unclean. Those animals related to the deadly Canaanite pagan worship was also unclean. And yes, certain animals were considered unclean for hygienic or health reasons because eating their flesh could lead to disease and death. And yes, certain animals were, were naturally repulsive to people because they also reminded them of decay and, and death. And so we need to look at these lists given here in our text in this light. And so when it came to the animals they were allowed to eat, yes, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goats, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep. This is the only list of clean animals given in Scripture. And realize that this list is in no way complete. More clean animals, four-legged animals could be mentioned here. The first three animals mentioned here, the ox, the sheep, and goats, were, were all domestic animals. And you can say that these three animals form the major part of the meat supply for the people of Israel. But there were other animals, there were the wild animals that were also considered clean, that can be eaten even at their feasts. Yes, these animals then all were to be slaughtered, their blood to be drained. And then they could be cooked or roasted and eaten by God's people. And so God's people could, yes, enjoy roasted lamb and fresh venison. Now, when it came to the land animals, they could eat anything that had a split hoof and then also chewed the cut. 
Now to have a split hoof, a hoof divided into, yes, two parts. And they also had to chew the cud, that is, chew their food very thoroughly. When it says here in our text that they had to chew their cud, we should not be thinking of that modern scientific definition of, of chewing the cud. You know how that is with modern science where they define chewing the cud in this way than like an animal, like a cow, swallows the grass without chewing it very much, stores it up in one of its several stomachs, and then later on brings up that food and rechews it and then goes to another stomach, and, and so it goes. That's not what it means here to chew the cud. In the original Hebrew, what does it mean? It means simply that it chews its food very thoroughly. And yes, and that's why the rabbit is in the list here, of one that chews its cud. It simply means that the rabbit chewed its food very thoroughly. Now the animals like the ox, the sheep, the goats, and others mentioned here earlier did have split hoofs and chewed their food very thoroughly. And so they were considered clean. But there were some animals like the camel and the rabbit that did not have split hooves. They did chew their food thoroughly. But since they only fulfilled one of the requirements for being clean, they were were still to be considered unclean, were not to be eaten. And it should be noted that that the rabbit chews its food twice. It's the moist pellets that a rabbit excretes the first time they swallow again, and this fact, no doubt, would also make the the rabbit unclean. The pig, however, the pig, however, did have a split hoof, but didn't chew its, its cud, it didn't chew its food thoroughly, and so it was considered Yes, unclean, and this is confirmed by what we read elsewhere in Scripture in Isaiah 65. And this was the practice of the Canaanites. When they worshipped their gods, part of their, their ceremonies was, yes, to eat pig flesh. In fact, God's people were not only forbidden to eat the meat of unclean animals, they were even not to touch them. And so many other animals were unclean, dogs and cats and lions and bears, to name a few. Is any animal which had paws, which was carnivorous, which ripped to death other animals for food, which fed also on already dead animals, were all unclean. And that's the land animals. And then what about the animals living in the waters of the seas and the lakes and the rivers? Well, from out of the waters in and around the promised land, God's people could eat fish. They could eat fish with fins and scales. And so fish like sardines were considered ceremonially clean and could be eaten, but other fish like eels and rays and lampreys were considered ceremonially unclean. And hard-shelled sea creatures like crab living on the sea bottom, scavenging on dead and decaying matter were unclean too. And the reptiles that lived in water and on land who tore their prey to death were also unclean. And then when it came to the birds, the birds of the air, God said to his people, you may eat any clean birds. None of those birds are listed here, but birds that would be considered clean and could be eaten would be birds like quail and partridge and geese and chicken and so forth. God does give here a very lengthy list of those birds which were considered ceremonially unclean. And you note that they're all birds of prey to tap and rip their prey to death. Or they're scavengers which fed on animals that were already dead and decaying. And these were birds like the eagle, the hawk, the vulture, the raven, 
the owl, the cormorant, to name a few. And then there were the insects. And all flying insects which swarm were considered unclean to the people of Israel. They were not to eat them. These were the insects that swarmed on, on the dead bodies of people and on of animals. Now those insects which hopped, which had jointed legs, did not crawl, they were considered clean. And these insects would be as the grasshoppers and the locusts. In fact, these were part of the regular diet of the, of the people of Israel. And then, yes, the next regulation is very obvious. God's people were told not to eat anything you find already dead. If you properly slaughtered a clean animal, drained its blood, it would remain, yes, ceremonially clean, but clean animals could become unclean if they were not slaughtered properly, but died from disease or ripped to death by another animal. And while the people of Israel were not to eat such an animal, others could. They were free, yes, to, to give it to the alien living among them. They could sell it to the foreigners. And so you see, any creature associated with decay and, and death was considered ceremonially unclean. You see, as death seems to be the overriding factor in that distinction between clean and unclean creatures or foods. And so you see, God's people were to leave. Enjoy us a truly death-free diet. And why? Well, they have been delivered from death. Thanks to the blood of the land, the Lord God not, had not come in judgment of death on his people there in Egypt. Instead, he had delivered them out of the death and destruction of Egypt. And they were truly to live in communion with him forever. That's why they were not to eat any food or any meat associated with death, with disease, destruction. They were only to eat yet the meat of clean animals. And what if they did eat unclean meat? Well, then they became ceremonially or symbolically unclean before God. And when one was unclean, whether for a shorter or longer period of time, one could not come to the Lord God and worship in the tabernacle. You could say they were ceremonially cut off from the Lord God, so to speak, they were dead. And yet God also there graciously, mercifully provided a way out. Those who were unclean could be made clean. Often there was a cleaning ritual to be followed. Or even after one day they were declared, yes, clean again. And yes, when one was clean, yes, ceremonially clean before the Lord, then one could once again come into his presence, have communion with him in his holy house. And so really anything, anything that reminded one of death was to be avoided. For Israel indeed was a people that had been redeemed from death. They were not to be associated with death anymore, not in the food they eat each and every day again, is they were to eat each day in the expectation that that great enemy, death, would be completely destroyed. And so, yes, this ceremonial law foreshadows the coming victory of Jesus Christ over death. Now, Jesus Christ had not yet come to, to earth to die and to rise to life again, to rise in triumph over death. As these greater works of redemption were still yet to come, Yet Israel, already there in the Old Covenant, had with this dietary law a glimpse, a picture of better things to come. And better things did come. That brings us to our second point, the gospel. 
the gospel of clean and unclean food. With every meal at which they ate meat, God's people were very clearly reminded of his call to, to live a redeemed life, a life free from death. Called to live as, as clean people, as truly distinct and different from the pagan peoples around them. And this is also very clear from what we read there in Leviticus 20. There God said to his people, you must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals, between clean and unclean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those which I have set apart as unclean for you. And then it comes, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. It's just as God set apart certain animals as clean. So he set Israel apart to be clean. Yes, he set her apart from the nations of this earth to be his own, to be truly clean, to be truly distinct. And so, yes, this dietary law was a daily reminder to Israel of their status. They were God's holy people. They had this daily reminder then of that call to be holy, to live holy. Yes, holy and clean in every area of their everyday life. And so you see that this dietary law made it, made it difficult for God's people to participate in the meals of, of their pagan neighbors. No going over to visit with your unbelieving neighbor and enjoying a meal of barbecued pork chops. Really, this law, this dietary law, had the practical effect of limiting contact with other people, which might have compromised their, their ceremonial cleanliness or holiness. Now, this aspect of this dietary law came to fulfillment in the New Testament. This law of clean and unclean foods was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was victorious over death on Easter Sunday morning. And so we are today, yes, freed from the dominion of sin. We're freed from the rule of death. And so there are for us today no longer any unclean foods. We may enjoy bacon with our eggs. We even have a few slices of bear sausage. All foods for us are now kosher. Yes, in the words of Colossians 2, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. In fact, even before Christ's death and resurrection, our, our Lord and Savior spoke in this way about clean and unclean foods. Yes, Jesus spoke to this issue when, when his disciples were caught by the scribes and the Pharisees eating food with hands. Yes, hands that were unclean or unwashed. And as far as the scribes and the Pharisees were concerned, this was wrong. The disciples were breaking the tradition of the elders. And yes, like with all the other laws of God, the scribes and the fairies had added many of their own regulations. And they said not only did God's people have to make sure that their food was ceremonially clean, but even their hands had to be ceremonially clean, and their cups had to be ceremonially clean, and their pitchers had to be ceremonially clean, and their kettles had to be ceremonially clean. And so they were all caught up with this need to be ceremonially clean themselves, so much so that they would have nothing to do with the ordinary people of Israel and they considered the ordinary people of Israel, yes, as unclean. Really not any better than the pagans living in and around Israel. And then here comes our Lord Jesus Christ, and he removes this distinction between clean and unclean foods. And he removes it also for us. So we read there in Mark 7, 
And yes, this removal by our Lord Jesus Christ comes to the fore later on. When the Apostle Peter, a a Jew, was about to visit Cornelius, God-fearing Gentile. You read about this in Acts 10 and 11. I'm sure you all know the story. And this important incident marks the first occasion on which the gospel is to be proclaimed just to the Gentiles, to the pagans. And prior to being asked to visit Cornelius, Peter was commanded by God in a vision, yes, to kill and eat animals that were unclean. And although Peter, you say, strongly objected, God warned him not to call anything unclean that he had made clean. And later when he actually visited this Gentile Cornelius, Peter commented on this vision. He said, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit with him. But then he goes on to say, but God has shown to me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And so God's people were no longer to be isolated from the world as before. Oh yes, they were still to be separate from the world and holy to the God, but their isolation was not to be a part of it. The emphasis, yes, in the new covenant, beloved, is on sharing the gospel, and yes, sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, with the pagan nations. That gospel has also come to us. And so no longer did God in the new covenant distinguish between clean clean Jews and unclean Gentiles. Now as the apostle Paul wrote there in Ephesians 2, Christ destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in the flesh the laws, its commandments, its regulations. And yes, so Jesus Christ has come to redeem from eternal death, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That's also us. As in Jesus Christ, we too have been graciously redeemed from the power of death and destruction. Yes, graciously redeemed. And the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day thought that if they kept this law of clean and unclean foods most perfectly, they could redeem themselves. For them, this dietary law didn't point to the redemption that is to come in the great Messiah and the great Jesus Christ. But to them, it only spoke of of the works they should do. And they strove to keep this ceremonial command to a T. No one was more outwardly or ceremonially clean than the scribes and the Pharisees. My beloved, what is really more important to the Lord God is inward holiness or cleanliness. And in response to them, Jesus Christ said to them, there in Mark 7, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Food coming from the outside of man and into his mouth no longer made him ceremonially unclean. What really counts is what is inside us. The uncleanness is inside us. And it comes from the inside out. It says, Jesus went on to explain what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, yes, out of man's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, and so forth. Is all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. What did the Lord Jesus do here? He certainly didn't make it easier for his people to be truly clean. 
In the Old Testament, the regulation given there in Deuteronomy 14, the stress was on the fact that by following the detail of this law, one could approach most holy God without danger. But really, the focus of the ceremonial law is not on outward cleanliness. If we make our life before God a matter of outward cleanliness, of holiness, of following rules like do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, then we have become enslaved to a deadly form of legalism. Yes, deadly. Now what Christ does here is sharpens God's laws given here in our text. What he seeks from us is something more, something deeper. It's what I said before. He basically demands of us with this law, this dietary law, is inward holiness. He seeks with each and every one of us a new and clean heart that, yes, truly shows forth outwardly in a clean and holy light before God. And then in that way, we can always live in joyful communion with our Lord God. And so, beloved, let us pray those words of Psalm 51. Pray those words to the Lord God. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Yes, this is only possible, beloved, by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ at work within you and me. And so, yes, our risen and living Savior, Jesus Christ, will remove all our sins and uncleannesses within us. And in that way, we can truly live in communion with him and our Father forever in the power of the Spirit. It's renewed in our hearts by the Spirit. We must no longer conform to our former unholy passions. No, we need to live truly holy lives now. And can we say that in the way we live? In the way, for example, in the way we treat our bodies. Do we treat them as temples of God's Holy Spirit? Or do we really just make them unclean by smoking, by excessive eating and drinking, by sexual immorality? And are also holy in our marriages? Do we live with our spouse in a clean and a pure and an upbuilding way? Or are we destroying our holy marriage by viewing porn? And can we say that the music we listen to, the movies we watch are truly holy? Or are they sexually perverted and, and filled with deadly destruction? And is our everyday talk in school, in the bus, in the job site truly holy? Or is it filthy and slanderous and judgmental and deadly to those around us? Well, it doesn't help that we live in a culture of uncleanness, a culture of death, where all these kinds of unholy thoughts and words and actions are encouraged. Beloved, let us repent of those acts which lead to death. Sure, the distinction between clean and unclean animals has passed away, but the core of this law still stands to us today. Let us put to death the lusts of our flesh and the world that threatens to enslave us. And let us instead cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of the Lord. Really, what comes out of us must reflect that Christ is within us. And this covers all our words and thoughts and actions. Yes, let our most important food be to do the revealed will of our most holy God each and every day again. Amen.